Welcome to episode 17 of the Eclectic Gamers Podcast. It is September 11th, 2016, and I am your host, Dennis. Wait a minute. This is a little odd. Tony always does the intros. Well, there is no Tony this time. There is only me. And many of you are probably wondering, okay, well, how is that possible? Is it some sort of coup d'etat? Is it some sort of rebellion? And I say no, 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 no such concerns need worry you. Tony's fine. Uh, he's been sent to a farm, uh, an upstate farm. Uh, he gets to play Overwatch all day and Pandemic all night. The rivers are milkshakes and the prairies are made of red vines. Uh, it's where your old dog Sparky has gone. You remember Sparky, don't you? Yeah, that's where Tony is. He's with Sparky now. It's, it's pretty good. It's pretty good. Of course, so is the unlimited power that comes along with his absence. Oh, the glorious things I could give you today. Just imagine me monologuing for five hours about just pinball. We could rename the podcast. We could call it Dennis's Coast to Canada Pinball Podcast. It's exciting just thinking about it. But uh, in truth, this is a planned absence for Tony. Uh, he will be back. And for the time being, you're going to just have to put up with me. Uh, but not me alone. But first off, I want to talk about some stuff before we actually get into the bulk of our content. So the first thing I have to announce is we have a shirt design. Uh, there has been a picture of the shirt on our Facebook page. It is also serving as the album art for this episode. And uh, just a little background on that. Tony, I believe, initially thought up the idea of us doing a shirt months and months ago, and we didn't really pursue anything with it because we were too busy working on building up the podcast. And I had been thinking for quite a while about it, though, just in terms of a concept, because I actually am not a big fan of the EGP logo that we use for the podcast. And I know because I designed it. So that the current logo we use with the white background, that was just me searching for three public domain images that served the three core concepts of the podcast. I threw them together. I think it works for album art, but I'm not a big fan of it. And I really didn't like how many colors are in it when it comes to shirts, because I'm more of a, a single color ink shirt sort of person, in part because it's so cheap and in part because I just like it stylistically. So I had run by Tony an idea of us doing the shirt like a play field, like the lower part of the play field with flippers. Uh, but instead of traditional slings, we would use controllers. And instead of a pinball, we would use a gaming die to serve as the proxy for our tabletop segment. And he liked the idea. And so I contacted Wendy Hoke and asked her if she could mock up a design and gave her those sort of broad concepts of what we knew. We knew we wanted the controllers as slings. We knew we wanted a gaming die. We knew we wanted flippers. But we didn't know how to really incorporate the name of the podcast. So she mocked up what uh, essentially is the finalized version we did a we did a minor adjustment to give uh, the die some more motion that was tony's idea and so what you see now is what you get so for those who aren't looking at the image 
Uh, basically, we've got the we've got the flippers. We've got a twenty sided die, a d twenty, serving as the pinball. It's kind of being fired from the right flipper, and then uh, the slings look kind of like the classic NES controllers. And then eclectic gamers appears at the top. Kind of looks like each uh, letter is on a Scrabble tile. And then down below is the word below everything is the word podcast, which looks somewhat akin to what it would appear on a dot matrix display from a pinball machine. So. We only ordered a small run. We wanted to see if it actually looked good. Um, giving shirts to all the guests, uh, guest hosts we've had so far as a thank you for them taking their time out to help us out. And then there were a few other interested parties. So other than that, I have two spare shirts. So we're doing a contest, uh, just a drawing, really. Uh, I didn't come up with anything super clever. So one of the things we've been trying to do, though, is get more iTunes reviews so that the podcast is better found through those search algorithms. So that's what the contest is. There will be a link to the show in the show notes to the contest where you can go and fill out a form. Uh, it's only open to U.S. residents, not just continental U.S. Uh, I'll ship anywhere in the U.S., but we're not going to be doing international shipping. And so what you need to do is you need to leave a rating and a review on the U.S. store in iTunes. And then you need to fill out the form that the show notes links to and that the show notes will also link to our iTunes page for those of you that do not usually use iTunes. And just fill that out, uh, indicate what name you left the review under, indicate your name. It's all very straightforward. And then you designate which shirt size that you want. We only, we have two shirts and they're each different sizes. We have a large and we have an extra large and that's all we've got left. So I'll do a drawing for both of those. And so uh, we'll, Close that off in a couple of weeks, and at the next podcast episode, uh, we do plan to announce who the winners are for both of those shirts, and we'll get them sent out, and we will be done until we order a new slate of them. The shirts only arrived a couple of days ago. I think they came out really well, so once I, once I build up enough funds, I'll consider doing another batch of them, but you get a lot of book discounting in shirts when you buy, so generally you want to buy at least a dozen in order to really save on them, so it may be a ways off before we do it again but hopefully the next time around we'll do a real what i'll call a real contest something that's more fun sort of like a coin box pinball podcast i know they do things where you like guess the uh number of uh plays that their games have or how popular they are which would be great if i had pinball machines on location but unfortunately i do not so uh something akin to that i think is a really clever idea it's just nothing we could really execute right off the top of the bat now, while Tony did leave me the purview to go it alone for this entire podcast, uh, I have decided I'm not going to monologue it, and we're actually even going to stick entirely with our three-format structure and not just have me go on and on about pinball. But I am not doing it alone, so we are bringing back a guest host. So, Mike, uh, from episode 11, which was our E3 2016 episode, welcome back to the Eclectic Gamers podcast. Thank you. It's good to be back. All right. Well, we're ready for our intros, which uh, Tony and I would normally just go into anything off topic uh, that we would have to talk about at this point. I just figured, do you have uh, any games that you've been currently playing that you want to just mention? Uh, stuff that we probably wouldn't necessarily be covering. Uh, well, mostly I've been working on Fallout 4's new DLC, the Nuka-Cola World. I'm um, not very far into it yet, so I don't really have a feel on if it's going to be as good as Far Harbor was. You get to play as a raider now. You basically go in and like kill the old boss raider. So now you're the overboss. So you're not the original. You're not the main protagonist. No, you still play the same person. Oh, okay. You're a raider pro protagonist. Well, it's like 
You go in, you kill their boss, and then they're like, why don't you be our boss now? And of course, like in everything mm. in Fallout 4, you're like, okay. That's true. Yep. And of course, like in everything in Fallout 4, being the boss means I run everyone's errands. Yeah. I don't know. I kind of wish, wish I could like go back and go, Preston, I found this giant group of raiders. Let's go kill them. Mm. And of course, Preston would be like, I have word of another settlement that needs our help. But I'd be like, no, Preston, raiders, we gotta go kill them. I'll mark the location on your map. Oh, Preston. Uh, I could probably go get the Brotherhood of Steel, and they could come in, and we would, like, wipe the whole place out, and then that would be cool, but no. So, yeah. I don't know. I'll see how it goes. Um, other than that, I mean, there's nothing really major coming out in September I want, so I'm gonna try and work on the backlog. <laughs> you know, of the free games with gold, I've got that... Warriors Orochi I've been working on. I haven't played that in like a week or two now. The Dynasty Warriors type right, game. Right. I'm still working on Weird Creature Finder slash Spaceship Fuel Making Simulator No Man's Sky. Hmm. <laughs> I mean, we covered that extensively. Yes. It's, I mean, it's definitely not what they said it was going to be, but it's, it's kind of a game I put in and just kind of relax because there's nothing really stressful about playing it. Mm-hmm. You can just kind of go about doing whatever. Um, and I mean, other than that, I've been, I've been playing a lot of Hatsune Miku Project Eva X. And that's a rhythm game. Yes. Which, I'm not the greatest at rhythm games, but it's not the only genre that I will play that I'm not greatest at, because I play a lot of shmups, and I just die all over and over them, so. But that's about it. Okay. Well, I, let's see, I finished Breaking Bad. It actually got better as it went along. I was sort of, I liked it all the way through, but I didn't get what the big deal was through the first two seasons. And then I I started to see where the narrative structure worked a lot better as it went along. Uh, I did really bad at the 403 Club monthly pinball tournament. I often do really bad there, as in going to and out. But this time... I was actually, I wasn't last, tied for last. I was dead last. <laughs> and it was a small turnout because of the uh, holiday weekend. So I took 14th, but no, and that, like the next lowest was 10th. But the interesting thing was I went to the IFPA website, which does the scoring for all of these uh, tournaments, and I got zero points for that. I didn't know that it was possible to ever get zero points. <laughs> I thought I would have at least gotten point zero one points. I think that they wanted to take points from me. I think that that was the plan, but they probably have something in their rules that they're not allowed to take points other than through their decay system. So, but anyway, I like to think that maybe I set some new ground there. Even though out of the five, two matches, five games I played, I only had one where I was truly crushed. All the rest were, including the one I won, were all pretty close. But anyway, it was not a very, I didn't, I was not playing well at all. Even afterwards, I stayed and played a bunch of games and I lost almost all of them. I was just not doing well. And that's pinball. So at least for me, let's see, uh, video game wise, a uh, couple of, couple of things to mention. Well, uh, first I should note that I did go ahead and pick up the Sierra Humble Bundle. I don't buy a lot of PC games, but these were all the old classics. They are not modernized at all. I mean, they were, some of them, they did come with the modernizations that happened in the 90s. In the early 90s where some of their early, very text-based styles were given VGA and point and click. So, uh, there aren't any Steam achievements or anything for them. I don't know if I'm going to motivate myself to actually play them, but Nostalgia did let me decide that I wanted to go ahead and pick. I didn't get the whole bundle. I got like the first two 
category. I went up to just above the average. I paid a penny above the average price and got, because that had all the titles I really wanted. I wasn't a huge King's Quest person, uh, but this got me Police Quest and Space Quest, which, and Quest for Glory, which were the three that I liked the most. And I can't say I've played all, like, I've only played Police Quest 3. Uh, and I think I did play all the space quests and I did play all the quest for glory, at least the first three for quest for glories. So I don't know if I played the fourth, but anyway, so I have those. Uh, I've been working a little bit on rainbow six siege. I got that back around Christmas and I just never put much time in on it. Didn't do very well in the tutorials. Like, uh, well, I guess they're called situations and I kept getting stuck. I, I got about halfway through and then I just started having a lot of trouble and it was getting really repetitive. I am not any good at Siege. I've never been great at Rainbow Six. And I, so anyway, I went in and just play. I'm still not through all the situations. I cleared a couple more, but I went in and started playing multiplayer. And I just, I don't think I know what I'm doing very well. <laughs> and I'm not very good at it. And I, a great example of this was I was playing and I was on the defense on a team and I went in and we, we started up and like within 30 seconds, someone that I never saw headshot me and eliminated my character and then i hear this bloop and i have a i have a text message sent to me from another teammate and all it said was you're terrible <laughs> and that was one very mean and two very true so uh i actually I, but i stuck through it i kept doing it they even tried to kick me from the team because i was so bad i guess Standard so, Xbox Live. Yeah, and I just, those messages, like, it helps reinforce, just in case I start to forget how bad it can be, <laughs> I get to, I get to, oh, don't worry, they're blocked now, and I reported them for unsportsmanlike <laughs> behavior, but, but, you know, it's always, it's always interesting, but, uh, but a good counterpoint to that, it is the free weekend of Overwatch, and we're going to dive into that more in a little while when we get to the video game segment, but... I was playing around yesterday with a few characters, and I switched to the character Mercy, who is the straight-up healer, very Team Fortress 2-style healer. And it was my first full match uh, as Mercy. I'm going in, and I'm healing a guy, gets dropped, I revive him. And then, through the TeamSpeak Audible chat, I hear this player say, this guy knows what he's doing. <laughs> and... Uh, no, other than I've played a lot of healers in my time. I have played a lot of healers. So it's like, you know, just sort of, I just thought it was an interesting counterpoint to my naivete of Rainbow Six versus my, while completely unfamiliarity with Overwatch as a game itself, the concept of which the character I was playing made a lot of sense to me. All right, intros out of the way. We will follow the traditional format, which means pinball comes first. There's not a whole lot to talk about in pinball because there hasn't really been a whole lot of news. The first thing, though, I want to touch on is the clear coat separation issue that all of the other pinball podcasts have been talking about. And so I don't want to say much else because everyone else has been talking about it. This is commonly called ghosting. I don't know why they're calling it ghosting. There was already a term called ghosting for pinball machines when you put in LED lights and they they stay lit when they shouldn't because you've replaced incandescents and they're not set up right. So whoever named this didn't do a very good job when they just thought, oh, well, we'll call this ghosting too. So that's my big complaint about ghosting is, guys, don't be calling it ghosting when there was already the term ghosting. There are plenty of other things we could call it, like clear coat separation. So... Apparently, as a quick summary, just in case we have some listeners that possibly care and don't listen to any of the other pinball podcasts, this has been an issue for a while. Everyone knows that Stern is aware of the situation. 
I don't know anyone hands-on who has had a ghosting issue. It seems to have only been impacting the most recent run of some of the titles, like the limited edition version of Ghostbusters, and supposedly some of the Game of Thrones games coming out have been having it. I haven't noticed it on the pros that we have on location. We have two Ghostbuster pros on location. I didn't see any ghosting on them when I looked. I didn't look that closely. I was too busy losing. But... Uh, and the same for the Game of Thrones, but I know the Game of Thrones that we have on location are all, I believe, uh, months and months before the, this issue arose. Uh, I don't have any comment on the big debate, which is, should Stern have announced something publicly about the problem, which they have not? Uh, I guess I would lean towards no, as long as the problem wasn't really widespread, but I'm basing that off of my own work experience, where if we have a problem... We do not announce it publicly unless it affects the mass public. And then we will say, like, if we mess up a registration system, for example, we'll just try and fix it and keep it quiet. And we'll just apologize to everyone who contacts us. But we won't send out a big email blast saying, we're sorry, we totally screwed up the registration systems for all of you who haven't even yet tried to register because you don't know. Because we're going to fix it before you ever figure it out. Would be the plan. But if we can't, we do an announcement. So... Anyway, nothing really else to say on that. Uh, follow the other pinball podcast if you really care about clear coat separation, because it's just something that I'm probably never going to comment on again. Uh, the only other the real pinball news is Batman. There's a new pinball machine that's been announced, Mike. It's called Batman 66. I hope there's bat shark repellent. I, I hope so, too. I have not yet seen. Well, actually, we've seen next to nothing about it. Here's the thing. It's really hard to talk about because there are no pictures of the play field yet. There have been some pictures of some of the toys. So, like, I've seen the bat helicopter. Uh, and uh, there have been a few of the little, like, gadget-looking things. Some of the little artwork that looks very reminiscent to the show. They've shown some, like, clips of that, some drawing sort of stuff. So there have been little bits and pieces. A uh, summary of what the game is that we do know from what they have announced. It is based on... The Batman, the Dark Knight pinball machine, but it isn't a straight up reskin of it, like how Shrek was a reskin of Family Guy. It's not that. It's not Spider-Man Vault Edition, which is comic Spider-Man art instead of movie Spider-Man art and different dots. They're not, it's not just that. They are changing the layout up somewhat. I guess it's supposed to have some more flow. There was an interview with two Stern employees, uh, on Coast to Coast Pinball, episode 229. We will have a link to that in the show notes, so anyone who wants to hear the interview, go and hear it. I don't want to recap it here. That is Nate's show, not mine. But they that there was a lot of sort of explanation about some of the changes that are, are happening between Batman 66 and Batman Dark Knight from a gameplay perspective. Uh, another big noteworthy item is this game will feature two LCD screens. This makes it the first stern game to go away from a dot matrix and go to LCD. Lots of other pinball companies, not that there are tons of pinball companies, but most of the other pinball companies are already doing LCD instead of doing uh, single color dots. So one of the screens will be in place of the DMD. It's going to basically be a laptop sized screen. So about 15, somewhere I think between 15 and 16 inches. And then one's going to be integrated, I guess, into the play field in some way. Like maybe it sits up on a, in a corner, kind of like how the Hobbit does, where there's a little book LCD, which lets you not have to look up while you play, which I think is really cool. I don't imagine they're doing the, the uh, full throttle style of highway pinball where they've actually got a screen, 
in the play field. But Stern's done that before. They had a screen. It wasn't a LCD screen, but they had a screen for World Poker Tour in the middle of the play field to let you show what your hand was. So anyway, they're doing something now. So that's sort of exciting. The crane toy, uh, there was a moving crane on the, on the Dark Knight. That crane toy is going to still be in this game. I don't know how that fits thematically. I never saw all of Batman 66, but I saw some episodes. I remember watching a lot of it when I was a kid. Do you remember watching lots of episodes with cranes? No, not really. Okay. <laughs> I, I don't either. And the thing is, the crane and do you remember a big crane scene in any of the Batman Christopher Nolan movies? No. No. No, <laughs> you don't. Here's the thing. All it was is a pun. Scarecrow controls the crane because it's Dr. Crane. Oh my God. Yes. <laughs> yes. So that, so that was, that's the, lo- that's the logic. That's the logic of it. They don't even have that because there's no Scarecrow in Batman 66. I've heard that Penguin's controlling the crane, which, you know, maybe he has a shipping empire. I don't know. I never really understood Penguin, but, uh, you know, it, it's, a, I think it's a cool toy. It's, it moves around. It has a little wrecking ball that you try and hit with the pinball on the dark night. And so it's really interactive. And so as far as toys go, I think it's one of the better toys. It's not just a simple bash toy. It moves around a bit, uh, moves around more than Slimer moves around on Ghostbusters. So anyway, so that's still going to be in the, uh, voice work. They're going to get uh custom voice work by Adam West. So kind of like how Ernie Hudson did call outs for Ghostbusters. They're going to have Adam West doing call outs for Batman 66. That's good. It there is. better be a hurry up mode where he carries the bomb around. I, yes, I hope so too. There, a lot of people online have been posting pictures and everyone remembers that. Uh, or, and also when Batman is dancing with yes, the Batusi. The Batusi, yes. So, or possibly the scene where Batman is surfing and he's got the board shorts on over his bat suit. <laughs> so there's that as well. There's a lot of fun you could have with this. Uh, the game is supposed to ship in November 2016. So a little bit later this year. And, uh, lineup wise, no pro model. They're doing, they will have premiums. They are making 240 limited editions, which is a fairly limited run for Stir, and they typically do more limiteds than that. And then 30 of what are called Super LEs, which will be invite only. And my understanding is each one of those Super LEs will have something slightly different, aesthetically, not gameplay-wise, but aesthetically they will all look, they'll have some special neat treat. And obviously, as invite only, the company will be asking uh inviting people to buy that particular version. So, any additional thoughts you have on the concept uh, as a theme? Uh, no, I, I think it could be kind of fun. I, I always liked the old campy Batman. Yeah, I, uh, it's been so long since I've seen it. I, I must have caught it on Nickelodeon from time to time. Uh, not a, a theme that really resonates with me. I, I, and maybe that's why they're not doing pros is they may think this isn't going to be a big operate pro pro models are designed for operators. Really. They typically have less things that will break down. My star Trek is a pro model. They're cheaper. That's my attraction to pros. <laughs> they, uh, they are the ones that are designed to be out on location and played. So they're usually easier to maintain because they don't have them. Like they tend to, uh, forego moving ramps they tend to forego wireframe and instead do vacuum made ramps and stuff anyway it's all you can always look and see the differences but given that i think this makes a lot of sense i've seen online there's a lot of frustration from some people i don't know if it's just that they're they're upset that 
since there won't be a pro model, you know that there won't be one at the typical pro price. Uh, the, there's probably on the collector side a lot of interest because this is, uh, Stern's first LCD. So I guess if you want to have a first and you want their first transition from dot matrix to the LCD era, you feel compelled to buy this. And then maybe you're mad because you didn't love it enough that you want to buy a premium. I don't know. I don't care. Uh, so it's probably priced out of the range I would ever consider anyway, uh, from a new in box standpoint. Uh, Super LE concept, I don't have any issues with that. I know some people, I guess, have groused. I don't see the point. I don't see the point in carrying. I just, I don't, like, I don't see the point in doing the extra limited run on the LEs. I think that makes a lot of sense. So the idea is to make them collectible. Then when you make 500 of them, obviously that collectability starts to go down a lot. I mean, when you consider that a lot of pinball machines have runs, especially older pinball machines had runs of under 3000 that I mean, we're not, we're just talking EMs and stuff. It's just, there's not, there's not a whole ton of demand compared to other hobbies. So and what may sound ultra limited, maybe the only way to really make it meaningfully limited. I don't know, but Anyway, uh, yeah, it's an interesting idea. Uh, I doubt it will ever really affect me. I'll be amazed if we see one on location in this area. There are actually two Batman Dark Knights on location right now that I know of in Kansas City. So uh, Now, since the gameplay is a little different, maybe that will motivate people, but I, I don't know if this is going to be a great player or not. Batman Dark Knight is an okay game, in my view. It doesn't flow very well, so I understand why the designer, uh, Gomez, is wanting to put more flow into Batman 66. But it's a competent game. I think it it has long ball times. So I don't really like it for tournament play, but unless you unless you've rigged it up to be harder and currently the location ones are, but yeah, it's not it's never been it's not one that I've ever wanted to own, so based off of what I know of the Dark Knight, this modified version of the Dark Knight doesn't appeal to me from a gameplay perspective. Unless I get to experience it and see if it actually is significantly better. But, all right, we're done with pinball. So let's move on. Video games, topic number two. Let's open with Overwatch, uh, which was one that I wasn't even planning on us really talking about. But we ended up with a free weekend. We put in a few hours yesterday, both you and I, and we played together on the Xbox One version. Uh, my base thoughts initially is, I see why the game's so popular. Yes. Uh, it was, it was fun to play. I definitely lean more towards the tactical approach that Battlefield does from a, from a gameplay perspective. I like the idea of building a squad and going and kind of using that squad to execute objectives. But this game's class interactions concept for tactical play, it, they implement it in a clever way. And I think they make it work and they make it make sense so that you may want to change things up if the game modes change. So it's like you're doing capturing a point and then it becomes an escort mission. That's different than yeah. what I'm used to. Um, though, even though you've got tons and tons of characters, you really still are only working with four classes. So, and by and large, that, that's all that seems to matter. I do like the warnings that it gives, though. Like it, yes. it's a, and Battlefield should steal a page from this and say <laughs> too many snipers. Yes. This game kept saying too many snipers, and I was like, that is what Battlefield needs to say: too many <laughs> snipers, because more than one is too many. <laughs> Basically, what do you think of the modes? I mean, they seem straightforward. To, yeah, I mean, you know, I, I like that it's all objective based. It brings all the action to one area. 
So it's not like a, a deathmatch thing where you're constantly looking for people and then you pop around a corner and suddenly you're dead because someone was there waiting, camping. Right. But conversely, unlike a game like Battlefield with its multiple conquest points, there's also not a lot of opportunity for broader strategic play. It's, you're going to go for this one point. Yeah. Everyone's going to go for this one point. Well, I, that's also just because it's so fewer people. I mean, you're yes. doing six on six, right. whereas Battlefield is 32 versus 32. Right. It is, it's very much a different style shooter than Battlefield is. Uh, yeah. In fact, I'd say it's different than a, than a lot of things, but it's also very reminiscent of a lot of games I've played in the past. In some ways, it reminds me of Quake and such, just modernized in terms of the modes that they would i'm amazed there's not a capture the flag mode honestly <laughs> not that i'm asking for one I'm, capture the flag i kind of liked in the early 2000s and generally i don't like how it's executed anymore maybe it's just me not liking how it's i was never a big fan of that mode but uh, as as we noted there are four classes and we're not going to go all super deep into overwatch because tony and jack talked it to death last episode and <laughs> I'm not going to do that here, but I thought it might be fun to go through the uh, class categories now that we've experienced. I think I've tried all the characters now. I've tried most of them. Uh, so now some of them I tried an arbitrarily short amount of time and go hate it and went yes. and moved on. <laughs> so, so that being said, I thought maybe we could highlight some of the characters we really liked in each of the classes or characters maybe we didn't like. It's whatever, whatever, uh, however it flows is how it flows. So let's start with the offense categories. Uh, you, I know you've played some of them. Yeah, of, I think any, I've played most of them. And any that stood out to you as being enjoyable to play? Um, well, I liked, um, Soldier 76 or whatever. Um, he's pretty straightforward to play. Mm-hmm. Um, Farah was pretty cool. Now, she is, was she in the offense category? I don't remember. I don't think so. I think she was in the first set. That was offense, wasn't it? Okay, and then she is. Okay, yeah. So, you know, her main gun is a rocket launcher. Yes, yes. Sicking. But she has rockets. That's probably offensive. Yeah. Okay. And uh, her special was pretty cool. That seemed like the one you were playing the most when we were grouped together yeah. of the offensive sets. Yes. I, I looked at my uh, playtime, all, all the characters after we were done, and yeah, her bar was really long compared okay. to everyone else. Okay, so she was probably your favorite offense character then, I would uh, say. Yeah. If, if I felt we needed more offense, I switched to her. Okay. Uh, I liked, uh, Soldier 76 was my favorite of the offensive characters I tried. So he's just, he's, he's, uh, well-rounded is the yes. thing. He's well-rounded. His, his circle heel is a nice support tool. So he's not just a lone gunner sort of character. And I think he's really, as Tony and Jack had both noted in the last episode, if you, were someone who's familiar with other shooters, Soldier 76 is an excellent character to acquaint you with this game. Yeah. Because you're going to know how he works. He's he's that straightforward. Uh, I give my, uh, my second tip of the hat, and I didn't think I would have at first, but I'll give it to Reaper. But, I played him a little, but I didn't get a whole lot. Yeah, of I, I did, I played him a little, and then I went back to him later when we were doing our last sort of hour of play and gave him a little bit more time. Uh, I'd say the most noteworthy thing about Reaper is his special power is OP. <laughs> it's super OP. His, uh, his death blossom, as yes. I'll call it. Uh, he does good short range damage because he's, he's carrying dual shotguns. 
and his invincible smoke move is pretty intuitive to use. So you can fire it off. You can't attack while you're in that mode, but you also can't be damaged. So it's a good way to try and seek cover or maybe do some flanking or something along those lines. And it has a decent amount of time that it works at. But my only issue with, uh, so I'm noting him as my second favorite of the offensive characters I've played, but my big problem with him is he's such a solo character. He doesn't feel to me like he actually works cooperatively with the team. He's the character you play where you're going to go and try and get a whole huge kill to death ratio thing going on, and you don't really care what the rest of your team is doing. I mean, he can be used in a tactical way with everyone else. I don't want to say that he's, you know, if you're playing this, you're a bad person. Otherwise I wouldn't have had him on my list, but, uh, but just he, he's well, while he is my second favorite offensive character, he's well below Sister 76 for me. The only offense character that I wanted to note that I didn't like was Genji. Uh, I, I tried him once, but I didn't really get a whole lot of time on him. I, I tried him once and then I felt I was being unfair. So I went back to him again and he's just too hard for me to use effectively. I couldn't figure out. I get the idea. It's cool that he can reflect projectiles and stuff. But I was like, no, I just, I'm not using him right. I'm not killing anyone. So I'm not using him right. He's an offensive character. That's what he's supposed yeah. to be doing. So let's shift over into the defensive characters. Junkrat. Junkrat. Okay. Tony, I think, noted that he's a big Junkrat fan. Yeah. Well, I think. I really started to like Junkrat after I used his tire at one point and killed pretty much everyone on the opposite team with it. Yes. That, <laughs> yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He's got the raging uh, tire tire fire thing going on. Yeah. Exploding spare tire thing. They were like all covering the, the whatever point we were trying to capture. And I sent that thing in and exploded it and just like quintuple kill. Yeah. Any others that stood out to you? Not really. I think he was the only really defensive person I played a lot. Mm, yeah. I, um, I'm probably going to say her name wrong. Is it May or May? May? Okay. I, I never got a chance to play her yet. All right. There was a couple times I was going to, but we already had someone playing her. Yes. Like, well, I don't want to double up with it. Yeah. No, actually, I was, I was really because I, they rate each of these characters are rated with three stars on how difficult they are to properly use. So like Genji's a three star character. So me being bad at him, I understood. It's just, I was so bad at him. I don't want to go back to it. Uh, she is a three star as well. So I was very skeptical. I really liked her though. She is a great nuisance design character. Yeah, I I can understand that. Yeah. So you've got ice attacks. She's got a short range ice beam attack. She's got a long range icicle attack. She creates these ice walls. She can encase herself in ice and heal up. It just the blend of the tools she has is I think really really good and I get why she's such a an excellent why she's a defensive character is because I mean those walls come in handy and the cooldown is pretty good on it. Yeah. So uh yeah, I just she was actually really comfortable to play and I didn't feel like she was all that difficult. I could see what the difficulty is going to be on you know, knowing how to use the wall and, and things like that and when to use the particular weapons. Her special, which is like this ice drone attack, it's pretty cool too. I mean it doesn't essentially just wipe everyone out, but it immobilizes them and gives everyone an attempt. A, a, a chance to concentrate fire. So I really liked her. And I guess my second pick after her would be Bastion. Yes. I forgot about Bastion. I mean, my, I would just, I would describe him. I, I would reference gears of war and say grind <laughs> yes. because he is just a big old Gatling gun, but he's easy to use. Yeah. And that's why he's there on my list is that he's easy to use. Uh, dislike. I've go ahead. The one I, the, I didn't, 
hate any of them. The one that came closest to dislike for me, and I put hardly any time on her, was Widowmaker. I didn't try her. I'm not a sniper fan. I'm not yeah. a huge sniper fan. And Hanzo works like a sniper as well, but Widowmaker was more awkward for me to play than Hanzo. Hanzo kind of, like, I didn't feel like I was inept at him. I, yeah. I didn't love him, and people love Hanzo. Yes, they I do. was getting headshot by Hanzo all the time, so I kind of hate him from that perspective. Yeah. But uh, from a playing perspective, he was okay. Uh, I also did put a little bit of time on Torbjorn, the engineer dwarf guy. I hadn't tried him yet. Okay. He was too hard for me to use properly. I don't think I ever figured him out. So he's getting in the dislike category for the same reason that Genji is. I'm like, I don't know. He's trying to gather scrap. I love the idea of building turrets. Again, engineer, team fortress. It was making me think, oh, this could be a lot of fun. No, it wasn't. It was not. I did not have fun with him. Uh, third class, the tanks. Well, I put in a decent amount of time on D.Va. Mm-hmm. Um, my big issue with her is I, I feel someone who's in a mech should be a little more offensive. And her offensive capabilities are kind of crap. Yeah, I think most of the tanks are pretty weak. Yeah, well, Although... I mean, like, I played Reinhardt a little bit. And if I can get... Well, I mean, he's obviously a very close-up character because his weapon is a hammer. But if I can get close to someone, I can wreck them. Yes. And his, his shield was awesome. It worked very well. I, I used him on one point in an esc- one of the escort missions, and I, I just kept that thing up in front of everyone. And all my teammates were able to stay behind it and cover anyone that was coming at us. Yeah, the uh, Reinhardt shield is a huge damage sponge. I mean, D.Va has a shield as well, but her energy to power it doesn't last very long. Yeah. Whereas- Although I guess originally her energy on that was even shorter. Oh wow! I know. Okay, I, remember, I remember reading about her getting buffed, and that was one of the things they talked about. It, it, it makes sense. It's very difficult for her to move in very far with if it had been shorter. Uh, I my uh, my thoughts actually mirror yours. Uh, I put I put Diva as my favorite, but she yeah. I mean, she's not a da- she's not a damaged character, but. I think her mech special is very useful for point capturing. Yeah. The ability for it to, to explode and then her to bring it back in. And her defense is decent. So her, she's pretty maneuverable. Her shield does come in and it's a good shield. It, I mean, Reinhardt's is a sponge where it just can absorb a certain amount of damage. And so he can keep it up forever if he's not taking damage. Diva can keep her shield up no matter how much damage is coming until she runs out of energy for yeah. it. So. I felt that coupled with her ability to have her mech be destroyed and then she becomes a relatively agile character who still does okay damage. In some ways, you might even argue she does better damage when she's out of her mech with her <laughs> handgun. Uh, it's more precise than her right. scatter it, it offers her some tactical options, so I see potential for her. I can't say that I'm exploiting that potential very well, but I, I, I enjoyed playing her as a character. My second pick would be Reinhardt, though. I do not like Reinhardt's hammer. Uh, I just, I'm a gun person. Yeah. And he's too whack, 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 whack-a-mole. But that shield is so good that when it comes to, I mean, tanking, he, yeah. he is definitely the tank I would name. And then I don't like any of the other tanks. I, I don't even remember who else is in there, but... Roadhog? I tried him, I think, once, and it was just like, no, I don't like that. No. I, I tried, I don't remember what her name is, the pink-haired big lady... 
Yeah, I, who has like a the plat the, the particle beam? Yeah, she has like a particle beam that does like no damage. No, she's a tank. She's got <laughs> particle. La- I okay, and her shields only last like seconds. So I don't yes, feel yes, one of them. that's the that's the problem I have with her. Not that she doesn't do any damage. That's just frustrating. She can take a lot of damage, but she has a self shield and she has a, an apply shield to other person. They are on separate timers, which is nice. They, in some capacity, when people are taking damage while those shields are up, they enhance her offensive damage, which she needs, but it's not like those shields last until they take a certain amount of damage or anything. They just go away after like five seconds or something. Yeah. It's, it's, I, I would say ridiculous. I, I didn't see other people playing her and she, I don't believe was named when Jack and Tony were talking, but I think she probably needs a buff, at least on the Xbox. I can't figure out why you would ever pick her over another tank. Yeah. My least favorite tank is actually Roadhog. He's just the worst. <laughs> a lot of people play him and play him effectively. I don't think yeah. that he needs a buff. The problem is I cannot use him effectively. Yeah. He's too short range. He's got short range gun and a little bit longer short range gun. And then he has this chain to do the stun move, which is awesome, except you have to be accurate to be able to use the chain effectively. And I am, he's basically walking around with these short range, like shotgun things. And then, but you're trying to snipe with this chain to pull people in. And I just, he's dumb. I don't like him. <laughs> I don't like him one bit. So, uh, finally, we're the support characters. Any support characters that stood out to you as enjoyable to play? I liked Lucio some, but I didn't, I didn't feel I was using his support abilities to the best. Because you have to switch back and forth between, on his gun. Right, he's got healing. like a, and speed. Yeah. I think it's speed or something, well, it's like or movement. Some, yeah, well, I mean, it's like some damage dealing thing. But, I mean, I like his knockback ability. That was helpful. Mm. Um, other than that, I mean, I tried Mercy once and just... Healing is not my play style, so I don't feel I was okay. very good. Well, then with Mercy's her. not going to stand out because she's so pure. <laughs> she's so, she's so much. She's just a med pack. Yeah. Um, Mercy was my favorite because, as I noted earlier, it reminds me of the medic class in Team Fortress Two. So, of all the support characters, she is the most pure healer of them all. But her offense, because of that, is a total joke. I mean, it's inconvenient, to say the least, even switch to her sidearm, which is her offense. I think I saw, like, one person use that once. I I got a few people with it at certain points, but that would I'd only ever really switch to it if I was alone. Yeah, pretty much any time I saw Mercy, she was basically tethered to someone. Yes, yeah, she needs to be tethered. That's her job. (laughs) She's a little tetherball. So, because her offense is a joke, the... Uh, on the switching to it requires you to use the right on the D pad, which is not convenient. They didn't just make it so you could pull like the left trigger, which is not used on her at all. Left trigger is not used. She's definitely the best healing choice though. And when you don't need to heal, she can tether and do an offensive boost to someone. So it, she, she's a very valuable character. You just, but you have to like playing that style. And I'm fine playing that style. So it works for me. And she's got Resurrect, which can come in handy yes. if you've been Death Blossomed or something. <laughs> so my se- – and the second support character I really liked was Zenyatta. I never got a chance The Dalsum. I'm calling him Robot Dalsum. <laughs> he's floating around there. What I like is he's got these two orbs. It gives him a healing debuff mix. So I can say target your character and put a healing orb on you. And it just stays on you until I assign it to someone else. So it's like tethering, but he's not having to tether. 
Yeah. He just applies it. Same with the debuff orb. I see an enemy, I can put the debuff orb on him. When that enemy dies, I get the debuff orb back, and I can put it on someone else. And I can do it from, like, across the map. He requires a bit more accuracy than Mercy does for both both of those things, but it, it works fine. He also can do damage. His main attack is not particularly strong, but he can charge it with the left trigger, and that actually hits pretty hard. So the only thing I really didn't care for about him is his special. It's he's invulnerable, and then he kind of emits a healing aura, which heals people around him. I see value for it if you're like on a point. It's not as valuable as Resurrect, though. It's just it, it's okay. Uh, it didn't stand out to me, but I enjoyed playing him. He's got decent movement and all of that. So uh, I did not like any of the other support characters. <laughs> uh, and Anna and Symmetra are the worst. <laughs> I tried Symmetra once, and I was just like, I, I can't do anything with her. Yeah, the the problem I have with Symmetra is it's like so many of these other ones I named. I felt like I don't know how to play her right. Yeah. She's got this little turret, but I didn't understand it. Her support shield seemed to be too weak to be worthwhile to me. I'd rather have been able to just heal people instead of giving them a shield. Uh, and then Anna uh, is just she requires too much precision. She's a sniper. She's got her abilities are awesome on paper. She's got my the, my favorite set of abilities, but. I I used her a couple of times and I just felt like I wasn't executing the healing very well because I'm having to snipe people properly to heal them and it just and I was too far away then to use a lot of the other stuff that was cool. It was like okay, it just didn't work for me. So anyway, that's Overwatch. So fun. Uh yeah. I have it on my little list to to own. Uh I didn't think we were supposed to be unlocking achievements, but apparently we've started unlocking <laughs> achievements because the game I guess became confused. So anyway, it is fun, and I do recommend uh, people who like smaller quantity shooters, games that aren't massive armies on each side, to go ahead and give it a try. I try it over Call of Duty at least. But yeah. So let's go on to another shooter. Let's talk about the Titanfall 2 tech demo, tech test. Well, yeah, I don't it, remember. Exactly. It wasn't a beta. It was a tech something. Yeah, it was basically a... I think they called it, like, online tech test or something. I don't know. It was basically just, I think, for them to test server loads and stuff like that. Now, I only played it the first week and they did the test, but you you did... I did the second weekend okay. as well, which they made some changes that massively improved okay. the game. So, that's this is good, because now we can have a dialogue, because <laughs> there were some experiences I had that really uh, bothered me. So, I guess what I, I would like to open with is... Where were the Titans? That first weekend, they were not there. <laughs> okay. Because here's the thing. I skipped. I did not try the pilot. They had three modes that I could try on that weekend. I skipped pilot mode because by definition, pilot mode does not have Titans. Yeah. So I don't care. That is, we were formerly Infinity Ward. You still want to play Call of Duty, our style. Here you go, pilot mode. I don't care about that. So I did play Hardpoint, which is... The, I would argue, the main mode from Titanfall 1. Yeah. It seemed to be the mode with the most players. It was the mode I liked to play the most. But it was Titan-free. Totally, totally Titan-free. My team dominated. Normally, in Titanfall 1, if you were crushing everyone and owning everything, you earned your Titans really fast. Yeah. My team steamrolled these people, and no one on our team or their team ever got a Titan deployed. Yeah, the, that first weekend, I saw Titans a couple of times, and they were literally right at the end of the match. Okay. 
the other mode I tried was a new mode that they created called Bounty Mode. And I did get my Titan, I believe, three times in Bounty Mode. The But I didn't like Bounty Mode. I don't understand exactly how... I guess I understand how it's supposed to work. I don't understand how it's supposed to be fun. <laughs> and because it's not Battlefield Hardline. This is Titanfall. <laughs> so the whole idea in Bounty Mode is you're going around and you're like gathering money. And then you're supposed to take that money back to your bank, basically, and deposit it. Which means... For the other side, I guess camping the bank is the smart strategy because everyone's going to have to go back to cash in if they want to earn any points while you go around and try and kill objectives to earn the cash. But you don't really earn the cash until you deposit it. So, I I mean, I don't know. It seems like it has a bottleneck issue that makes me think it's just going to turn into a camp fest. But, I mean, I like that it let me try some Titans. I enjoyed the Titans when I was playing them. Uh, I thought the Titan play felt pretty good. Pilot play felt a little, it felt different. It felt less, I don't know if fluid's the right word. Maybe I should just say it felt slow Yeah, well, I mean, one of the big issues was uh, that one map. I don't remember what it was called, but uh, there wasn't a lot of movement options. Whereas in, you know, the first Titanfall, you can move around and not touch the ground for a while because you can just wall run across things. And there was a, one of the, there was like a swamp map in Titanfall one where it was, I, they even had on the Xbox side, they even had an achievement for staying off of the ground for a couple minutes or something, which was actually pretty easy to do because there were all sorts of fallen trees and stuff that were, they weren't falling to the ground. They were leaning against the rest of the forest and you could stay up top and and jump from tree to tree and rock to rock. And, and and that's how most pilots did because down below was bad. It's a danger zone. But um, the second weekend they changed the timer on Titans. So they charged faster they also got a huge boost in charge time if you captured a hard point. Oh, wow. Okay. That's good because hard point, that was a problem, I think, in Titanfall 1 is there were people that wouldn't always, not too bad, not as bad as we've seen in Battlefield, but some people won't play the points. They won't yeah. play objectives. Always a frustration of mine in objective uh, shooters like yeah. this. So that weekend, it was, I generally got a Titan two or three times match. So that was, that was okay. a lot better. Um, and that sounds akin to what... I remember from Titanfall yeah. 1 that, you know, three Titans a match is Although reasonable. Although having more Titans showed another problem with that one map where at one point my team, like four of us had Titans. There's not enough room for four Titans to move around that map. We were oh. basically getting bottlenecked trying to attack their last point that we didn't have captured, but they had like one or two Titans and we were trying to fight them, but the street was so narrow you couldn't. You could basically get two titans there, and everyone else was stuck behind them, and there was no oh. other way to move around. Oh wow! That I can't think of a single map in the first Titanfall that had that. I mean, there were places where you couldn't fit all the titans in one point. Yeah. At like, you, know, you can't all be at alpha, but the maps were always very yeah. lenient for being able to try and get around towards a point. Yeah, and huh. the the other map they introduced though in that second weekend was a lot better. It felt more like a traditional Titanfall map. You had you know, your Alpha and your Charlie were on opposite ends. Those were out in the open so that you could be in a Titan claim them. Whereas the Bravo was basically, there was this giant building in the middle. And Bravo was in kind of a walkway in the middle. Okay. That you could only get to as a pilot. But it had a lot more movement options. Um, it just, it flowed a lot better. 
it felt like more of a traditional Titanfall yeah. map. Yeah, and that, even the, the layout you described of the hard points, that's very traditional to first iteration Titanfall, where it was, I can't think of any map actually that had every hard point accessible to the Titans. Yeah. Usually you add at least one where only a pilot can do the claim, which is, you know, important for offering up different strategic options for, oh, well, we know the Titans can't get in and get us. You gotta, you gotta pull out, you gotta do some Call of Duty skills here. <laughs> to be able to, and it was a good blend. So, okay. So it sounds like they fixed a lot of, a lot of stuff. I wonder if that map, the one where you can't have four Titans <laughs> on the map, you would just describe it that way. Uh, if it was, that's just a byproduct of they never ran into that problem with their testing of the map because they had such limited Titan spawn. I know. Well, my understanding is that the build that we played for that weekend was like two months old. So I would imagine they would surely have been able to test that at some point. I, yeah. And the game's coming out relatively soon. I'm just, I'm, I'm trying really hard to rationalize why they would have such a poorly designed map. In a game that's supposed to be about going around in a big mech. Yeah, I don't know. It just, I, I mean, we've seen other games where, you know, keep, I keep bringing up Battlefield because we've played so many of them, but there are lots of Battlefield 4, I think, is an excellent case in point where you had a lot of maps that were, they were laid out fine for conquest and then they fell apart on the other modes. Yeah. But again, they were laid out fine for their main purpose. Yeah. Maybe, maybe this map, Hardpoint, isn't its main purpose, but. I would have assumed that all of the maps would have at least been oriented around hardpoint, and then maybe things like uh, pilot combat or whatever would suffer because they were too big or something. But yeah, okay. So anyway, for me, I've kept the game, uh, especially in the given the feedback that happened uh, regarding the second weekend of testing. I have kept it on my wish list, but I know I'm not buying it on release. This makes my life yeah. a lot easier, actually. Well, and also it comes out like a week after Battlefield 1. Yes. So. <laughs> and so, anyway, it's not a priority purchase for me. And we should probably shift to our final video game topic then, which you have laid the groundwork for, which would be Battlefield 1. We put in a little bit of time on the Battlefield 1 beta. <laughs> I'd say more than a little. We put in a little bit. <laughs> it was a little bit of time. So, I guess I would open with it describing that is, this is what I'm talking about. <laughs> this is what I want. War. War never changes. <laughs> and it shouldn't. Only their eras should change. Mike and I both played together uh, in a squad a number of times. <laughs> And in fact, I don't think I, other than if we had one of us lose connection or something, I don't think I ever played a game where you were not in the same, uh, we had one instance where we were on opposite teams briefly because you, yeah. how you got back in. But otherwise I was always, if I played, I was always in a squad, uh, and you were always in that squad. So, and we would communicate via our, uh, Xbox team speak. So, which is how we've always done Battlefield. Sometimes our squads have been bigger back yes. in the glory days, but. So we did both modes extensively. Uh, they gave us two modes to try out, Rush mode and Conquest. Conquest is going around and capturing various points, and you fight for the claim on those points. Rush mode is one team is offense, one team is defense, and there are two sets of boxes, basically, and as those are destroyed, you fall back more and more, and I think there are something like six box sets that you do. Uh, it was five. five, five there was okay. ten total. Okay. So, so we did both of those. And these are very, for those that aren't familiar, these are very, these are the classic Battlefield modes. They go back as far as my history of Battlefield goes back to Battlefield Bad Company 1. And both of these, these were the two modes in that. 
So yeah, I, the first Battlefield I played was 1943, which was kind of just a uh, it was an Xbox Live Arcade type thing. Mm-hmm. So it only right. had three maps, and it was just Conquest. But that's what got me into Battlefield. I back then, you know, they had demos for everything. Yes. So I downloaded, played the demo, I was like, this is a lot of fun. And I bought the full game, and I spent a lot of time on it. And then when Bad Company 2 came out, I bought that. And I, I can't even imagine how many hours we put in that game. A lot. We've played a lot. We have we have played a lot of Battlefield. This, we only had one map for the beta. It was the Sinai Desert, mm-hmm. which was used for both of the modes. The first day the demo was a big mess. It, I, it wasn't. It wasn't the beta's fault, it appears. No. Uh, EA was having some multi-server issue across all of their games. Yeah. I don't know if it was DDO. I didn't hear it was DDO. I didn't but, hear anything about that. But no. um, anyway, it was. So we couldn't, we, we got in, but it was very frustrating. We couldn't, and it would be like one game and then we were out. And mm-hmm. so, but after the first day, it was smooth. Yes. It was very smooth. I think we had a couple of instances each where we were, uh, we lose connection to the EA server and got kicked or the game would crash. Yeah. Uh, not, unfortunately, uh, crashes have been, uh, part of Battlefield, uh, especially since Battlefield 3, where I think they were really pushing the hardware on the yeah. Xbox 360s. But this was nothing. It wasn't like once an hour or anything. This nah, was- it's just every, every once in a great while would crash out. So let's go ahead and, and talk a bit about our thoughts about Battlefield. And I guess we should, uh, predicate this I'm, I'm trying to think of a diplomatic way to say it and i don't really have a great one so i'm just going to say it straight up that mike and i are uh, quite frankly really 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 good at battle <laughs> so like we could probably play this game professionally and make fortunes of money but uh, out of kindness for uh mlg <laughs> gaming we we do not and it's not that uh uh, and no, no offense intended, but it's not that we are great shooter gamers, no. but rather that we know how to play objectives. Yes. And Battlefield rewards you for playing objectives. Yes. It always has. Battlefield is not about your kill to death ratio. I mean, the the top player on the team could have zero kills and twenty deaths, but if they play the objective, they use their support abilities correctly, they can easily still get top score in the game. Yes. And that's what I like about it. And that's why when we talk about the squads and the classes in the game, it's so important. And you can change, like in Overwatch, you can change, you know, mid game and, and it makes sense sometimes to change, but not because you're at a different point in the map. It makes sense to change because the circumstances of the other army have changed, yeah. which it just, it's just a play style I really, really enjoy. Uh, let's go ahead and start with, with Rush, I think. Um, cause we spent, I'd say we spent more time with Conquest, but we, uh, we spent some hours on Rush. Yes. I mean, we did not, we did not short shrift any of this. We take our <laughs> battlefield very seriously here in Kansas. And so what initial thoughts about uh, any differences that you want to point out versus the Rush from prior battlefields or? Um, well, I mean, it's hard to give a sense of how it's going to go in the full game since we only got one map. Yeah. But Battlefield 4 of Rush, I didn't really like it that much as opposed to like the previous games. I felt the, the maps were just, they were too designed for conquest with the Rush just kind of thrown into it. I agree with this. So yes. I, I didn't feel they were balanced very well for Rush. It wasn't like back in Bad Company 2 where it was like all the maps were designed for Rush. Mm-hmm. With the conquest just thrown in a part of the map, right? And I mean, a lot of that probably had to do with the fact that it was fewer players back then. It was twelve on twelve, I think. And but those maps 
And that game flowed very well for Rush, whereas Battlefield 3, you kind of started to see it more towards conquest-oriented. Yeah. But in Battlefield 4, it's like, those maps just fell apart for Rush, I felt, on some of them. They were, they did, they didn't feel very well balanced. I, yes. I agree that it was, and I'm assuming, and I, re- I had read actually that the developers had indicated that they, because Conquest has become the most played mode in the Battlefield games, which may not have always been the case historically. Uh, at least Rush used to seem to be the initial concept that they really pushed. Well, I think, I think they, didn't they start Rush with the Bad Company series? I think, I don't know if they started with it, but I, I mean, that's what I remember it from. And that was the, I, that's like what most of my bad company one play was. I don't, I, th- I'm trying to think, was there conquest in bad company one? And I believe there was, but, and the names may not have always been the same as conquest and rush, but, uh, yeah, it seemed, it, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if that was the first, but it definitely was pushed. It was definitely a big popular mode. Because the idea then was there were your the whole plot in the single player is you're after all this gold in the bad yeah. company series. And that's what those boxes were, were like boxes of gold. And so the attackers are trying to destroy the gold so you can't take it. I guess a page out of Die Hard Three. I don't <laughs> I don't know. And then the defenders are trying to guard their gold so they can keep it. But um What so- I felt the, the map of this one I felt worked pretty well for Rush. Yeah, it, it felt balanced. It yes. felt balanced. Um, the, I mean, you could, you had multiple directions you could attack from. Mm-hmm. I mean, you didn't always have to go straight up the middle. You could flank to the sides. Um, the biggest, biggest issue I had with that, and I had also noticed this in Conquest, was it didn't seem like vehicle deployment was as balanced. Yes. And I, I, I felt it mostly with Rush here. And more specifically, it seemed like there was almost a glitch that affected defensive teams. And maybe that's incorrect. But to me, it seemed like defense stopped. I would see the symbol that there were like tanks that you were supposed to be able to spawn in, but they were always at zero. And I didn't see any tanks yeah. on deployment after the first set of boxes yeah, for like, defense it seemed very it seemed like after the first set of boxes there were still at the new spawn points you would get the symbol for deployment into a tank i often didn't see any actually i don't even know if i ever saw deployment options at the further back defensive boxes but offense still seemed to have vehicles yeah. and this now, I mean, maybe it was intended, but then I don't know why you would show a symbol for zero tank. I mean, it wasn't like they showed planes or yeah. anything else. So, and you had them at the start. And there have been other Battlefield games where you would have vehicles accessible at a certain point and then not have them accessible anymore. That's not atypical, but you'd also never see the option to have that. You wouldn't have them on the spawn map. Yeah. As and an it, idea. it was generally more balanced, whereas if, if you didn't have vehicle deployments anymore, they probably didn't either. Right. Whereas right. in this one, you had sometimes problems where, you know, you'd be back on like the third or fourth point back. You have no vehicle options and they're rolling forward with like three tanks. Yes. And it was, I mean, it was a problem. Tanks are already, and some of this is just going to be a learning curve in part. And some of it could very well be balancing issues that need to be addressed. But you go into Battlefield 1 and this, this extends outside of Rush in and of itself, but I feel that it seems almost overly difficult to deal with tanks. Yes. And as someone who enjoys being in a tank, I, you know, I don't like to say that lightly. You don't want, you never want tanks to feel weak. They should always feel like they can take a hit. Yes. But in this, because you've, you've moved away from a war with RPGs, you've got some, all of the, there are distance 
capable ways for people to deal with tanks. But most of those are their personnel based things you carry. Like they have a new like rocket gun, but it does hardly any damage. You can use your K rounds as a, as a scout and snipe into the tank, but it does barely any damage. I mean, almost everything that's at distance does hardly any damage. Well, the problem is even the close up stuff does hardly any damage. I mean, those little tiny one person light tanks. I threw three rounds of dynamite on one of those one time, blew it up and that didn't even take out the tank. And that's I think that's a problem because I mean in the past games I mean tanks they're they're powerful. You're in a tank, you can do a lot of damage. But they're balanced by the fact that a single person can still take you out, mm. be it someone shooting rockets at you from a distance or someone running up throwing C4 detonated and one C4 will take out your tank even right. if it's at full health. Right. And in this game it doesn't work that way. And I I don't know. I hope that's going to be addressed in the full release. They've already said the light tanks in the beta were OP and they're going to nerf them. But is there, are they OP on their health or are they OP on the damage I they do? I don't know. Because they seem to do a lot of damage. And that's yeah. what I, I've assumed the nerf will be. Will be They're going to get hit offensively on the nerf stick. You're a light tank. You should not be owning things better than a heavy tank. Yeah. But... Uh, you know, maybe it'll affect their defense as well. I've wondered if perhaps their line of thinking was... Now they're emphasizing more targeted damage on vehicles. So they're thinking as well, tanks will hold up better now because you should be throwing the dynamite on the treads instead. And I mean, like I use the anti, I actually on one of my builds, I have the, I'm using the anti tank mines, which don't do a ton of damage, but they do really well. It seems blowing up the tread so that they're disabled. Yeah. But I mean, a, a tank mine in the last game would take out a tank. Right. Yes. Definitely. And so you had I to mean, watch for it. You had to have your top gunner shoot in the ground. Yeah, up, 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 up. And I mean, so I think I think it's a problem that it takes so much to take out a single tank. Because I mean, and then there were times during like conquest matches where it'd be like, "I'm going to go take Charlie." I get to Charlie. They have two tanks sitting there, and it's like, I'm on the class that can take out tanks, and I can't take out one of them by myself. Mm-hmm. You run out of whatever kind of ammo you use for that. You throw dynamite, you run out of dynamite before you can take a tank out, you use your anti-tank rocket gun, you run out of shots for that, you've done like maybe 50% of the damage on it, if that. Mm-hmm. You've got those big anti-tank grenades. Oh, yeah. You, you carry like two of those. Which you can throw like four feet. Yeah. <laughs> and so that's not a good distance option. So every time you run into a tank, it's just like, well, I'm going to go somewhere else because I can't deal with this. Right. And I mean, I've heard, I've seen some people online say, well, it's like, well, people just aren't figuring out how to do it yet. You know, there's all the emplacements you can use. And it's like, okay, yeah, I get on the big cannon, I shoot it once, the tank turns and blows me up. Right. That happened to me. Cause those emplacements don't seem to be capable of single shot killing them. No. So, and, and I mean, I heard some people say, well, it was like, well, my squad, we, we had four assaults and a support and we could take out a tank. And it's like, you shouldn't need your entire squad to be based on taking out one target. Right, right. I mean, obviously, the, some, some of the scenarios, for example, the need to, you're going to run out of dynamite, so a support being able to restock you. Yes, that, that is a, that's a tactical option. It's a tactical option that we employ when we play. And the thing that I think it's easy to lose track of on paper is, you know, going in to fight a tank with dynamite is, Almost a suicide mission anyway. Yeah. The odds of being able to get back to wherever support has deployed an ammo box to restock. I mean, that's, that's part of the thing is with the flow of the battle, 
it's very, very difficult unless you're in a position of distance and relative safety to actually use med kits effectively. And that's always been true. Yeah. That's always been true because it's, it would be unrealistic to otherwise be like, here, I'm going to just keep pouring in dynamite into your pocket while you're fighting. You know, we've had, you have to have certain scenario situations where it can all arise, a true vantage point situation where, which was a map from, the Bad Company two days where there was uh it was a poorly designed map. It was the most broken map I've which ever I just seen. just to give a quick summary of it, it was it was one of the Vietnam era DLC maps. And the rush mode was very, very frustrating for offense at the very start. Well the very start turned into spawn as quickly as you can because yep. offense and defense spawn the same distance away from that one box. Yes. And so you spawn in, and it's just a rush to whoever can get that first. Yes. And whoever gets to that first, I mean, if defense gets to that first, offense is probably not going to win. If offense can get to that first, well, then you've got an easier time getting to that right, second right. box and moving on. Right. Because then you have a you have a fight. You get the box armed, and we were very we got very good at this. Uh, where we would get the box armed, and then if enough of the rest of your people who don't know about it finally get up there before, because it took time, takes time to disarm a box. Then they're able to shoot and keep the box from being disarmed. And then you had more options at the second box on approach. Yeah. If, but what we would, we would refer to if we were on defense, we would do the same. We would rush to the box to make sure no one could initially arm it. Once the rest of the team catches up, we would set up what we referred to as vantage pointing it because <laughs> the name of the map was vantage point where we would use resupply crates. And then it would be a bunch of assaults with grenade launchers on their assault rifles, and we would just go thunk, 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 I mean, thunk. You did, or you, or you could do handhelds. Yeah, yeah. because you could do back in that grenades. game, ammo crates resupplied your handheld grenades really fast. Yeah. So you could sit on an ammo crate and just infinitely throw grenades. Yep. And that's what we would do, because they only had one, the first box, there was only one approach that was viable. There was a really, really steep hill. People could try and get up and... All of the snipers were over there taking care of that. Yeah. So, or you could put some people, you could vantage point up there too. Yeah. You could just do, do vantage. It didn't, if, if it was the other people on your team figured out what we were doing, there was no way anyone was getting through. Right. And people would quit out and we would have super duper kill to death ratios and we would laugh at them. <laughs> and then if we were on offense and we couldn't get that box armed right away and keep it armed, then it just, it just depends. A lot of other, I mean, sometimes they didn't know about vantage pointing, but a lot of people did. Yeah. And it was, it was very frustrating. So we don't like to see, out of, for fairness reasons, we don't like to see vantage pointing in new games. And this avoided that. But outside of the whole reason I brought up vantage point was that was a rare situation where you could actually constantly resupply explosives in a safe manner. Yeah. That normally does not happen. And it doesn't happen much here. Well, yeah. And I mean, those things now don't, respond to you as fast right what do you think of the change on tank repair where you can repair inside the tank um I, you know i'm kind of mixed on that as a person who likes to drive a tank a lot i like it as a person who likes to blow up tanks as well i don't like it because <laughs> one of the things in you know like battlefield 4 and all the previous ones you know you start shooting a tank with your rpg which I really miss my RPG. Mm. But so you're shooting your tank with an R- RPG or something from a distance and the tank gets to low health. They get out and try to repair. You run up, kill the guy that's repairing, take the tank. Right. I used to do that all the time. And so with this one, I mean, if with the self repair, you can't really do that. Yeah. I think the, I think the self repair has contributed to the, 
problem with the tanks being too hard to defeat. So yeah. I'm, I'm actually going to come down against the idea of the self-repair. Also, when I'm driving, I do also enjoy using it. Uh, I imagine the developers thought, well, now that everyone else who's in the tank, there's not a build where you can, unless you were the tank driver, where you can go around and have your repair tool yeah. and fix the tanks. So it's not like everyone can get out and constantly keep your tank alive. But on the flip side, no one now has to get out to keep the tank alive, yeah. which means... Your option for, if you can't destroy the tank, hurt the tank enough, make the driver get out, and then try and take out the driver, that's not an option anymore. Uh, I get that the the driver can't do anything while he's repairing the tank. Okay, on the light tank, maybe that will, after it's nerfed, make a difference. <laughs> on the other tanks, it doesn't mean a whole lot. And it does a decent amount of repair. Yeah. And because of the limited options, it's not like you're getting hit with a bunch of RPGs anymore. Yeah. It's pretty safe to stay in and repair the tank. I mean, the only time it's not been for me is when other tanks... I mean, that's the, the... Right now, the only real effective way I feel to fight tanks is with other tanks. Yeah. Which it's always been that tank versus tank is... Uh, it's it's a, it's a supposed to be thing. Yeah. And and so that's good. But I, yeah, I, I think they're lasting a little bit too long. I, I think the, the, the self-repair is a good thing, I think, for airplanes. Yes. Yeah. Because, you know, it, it's kind of hard to land an airplane, get out and repair it. So I mean that's useful for them, but for tanks, eh, I don't. I, it's not something I really think they need. Let's uh, transition over to the talking about the conquest mode. Some what do you? It's different now. It's how the ticket system yes. works is different now. The same base concept is is in place. You want to control as many points as possible because that's what lets you win. The big change that they had in the beta, though, is in the olden days, killing the enemy cost them tickets. Now it's ticking up instead of ticking down because they don't need to cost. There, there is no costing of tickets anymore. Killing the enemy does not help your team win. Control is everything. Yes. Control is the only thing. What are your thoughts on that shift? Um, because this is pretty controversial yeah, with Battlefield I mean, fans. Personally, I like it because I've always played Battlefield to the old. What do they call it? PTFO. Play the effing objective. <laughs> And so, I like that it's that the points now are all about controlling those objectives. I understand some of the criticisms of it, because it's like, well, certain things, they don't feel like they're contributing. Like, I know some people said, you know, if you're in an airplane, you can sort of try and capture, like, the E-point. Right. But otherwise, all you're up there doing is killing, and they don't feel like you're contributing and my thought is, well, you've just described 90% of snipers. So. Right. And that's what <laughs> I've assumed is why this changes in place is it, it is not, I'm not joking. We've seen in Battlefield 3, Battlefield 4 situations where half of our own team is recon snipers all on hills trying to shoot people in the head instead of actually going and they never go and try and capture a point. Yeah. And the, and the rationalization, see, there's always a rationalization. <laughs> and that rationalization is, well, I'm depleting tickets for you. My kills are useful. It's like we, everyone knows that the reason they're doing it is they want to have an amazing kill to death ratio because they've, they're obsessed with that stat. But practically speaking, they did have a point. They were helping bleed tickets. They just yeah. weren't helping nearly as much as controlling one more point would yeah. have had. And, and I mean, the, the problem is, I mean, in the past games, your recon class, I think they call them Scout and Battlefield One. Yep, they do. always had. They always had some kind of, you know, support mechanisms that could be useful. Um, 
Spot mines. Spot mines are, you know, the, the little, what was it called, tugs in the last yeah. game. Yeah. You could put those on like a conquest point or near a rush objective, and then you could see when the enemy was coming. But a lot of times, they're so far away that none of that stuff is useful. They're using their respawn beacons so they can just get back to their little hidey right. hill. So it doesn't help doesn't help the squad have a good position for fighting on the objective. Yeah. So it's like, okay, I'm dead. Everyone else in my squad that was fighting for the objective is dead. Our options are to redeploy in the base or spawn on our recon guy who's out in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. Yeah. And I I figured that. You know, part of the situation there was that they, I'm assuming Dice realized that <laughs> there were a lot of situations where, I mean, it was better respawned at base. It was closer. Yeah. And that's sad. That should be the furthest. Or at least the at base you had a vehicle to get to. Yes. So, yeah. So uh, this, uh, again, because we only got to play one map, it's hard to speak broadly on Conquest outside of this major change. My thought on the change itself is, uh, I'm, I'm okay with it. I'm willing yeah. to see where, where I, I don't hate it. I, I do get it. I get the idea where it's like, okay, well, if you're in an aircraft, are you worthless? Uh, well, I'm, you're not. No. I mean, you're not because being able to bomb all those tanks down there and get rid of them helps with the capturing of the point. Yeah. And I mean, I, I, I got a little bit of airplane time and this isn't going to be like Battlefield 4 where it's like, oh, well, there's the jets up there doing their jet thing against other jets. Right. Uh, may, may, maybe occasionally taking on a helicopter, which is actually helpful because helicopters can hurt you on the ground, whereas jets are pretty much useless against the ground. This one, you know, you're in biplanes and stuff. They're not, you know, flying supersonic across the battlefield. They're helpful. Yes. Um, I got killed by the bomber several times trying to capture a point. I'm mm-hmm. sitting there like, okay, I'm capturing, I'm capturing. Suddenly bombs are raining down on me and I'm dead. So I feel... The airplanes are still useful. While they may not you know, be able to capture all the points, there was that one point, like I said, an airplane you could kind of control. But I feel, you know, if you're in an airplane and you see, okay, well, that point's being taken, I can go over there, carpet bomb the place, and maybe take out a person or two who's trying to claim it. That can be still be helpful towards yes. the team. And the airplanes are the best way to take out that train when it comes in. Mm-hmm. Yes. I mean, if they can do a bombing run across that train, that'll do a lot of damage to it. I think that, I mean, to me, the big change on the, on the ticket setup and the conquest point thing is to deal with sniper palooza. That's my, <laughs> that's my assumption of what Dice was doing. My, I'm fine with keeping it this way for doing the conquest points. What I would advocate is, if there is a way to perhaps make it so that, because the big, the biggest issue, honestly, outside of the snipers who just need to learn to deal with it, in my view, is the planes. They need to be able to help with the claiming of the points a little bit more. And then I think that alleviates some of that concern. Cause here's the problem on, on the Sinai desert map. They've got one point where it's broad enough that planes could be able to circle around and constantly claim a point. It's the, it's the echo point. Uh, but it's way out in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. So it's like, oh, well, that's the playing point. They're not, they're away from the rest of the fight. I don't like that. Yeah. I, if it was closer, no problem. If it was that they could maybe claim instead of that point, if it was more like Charlie and Delta had almost overlapping broad ranges and the planes could stay in the middle of the map there because those two points are so close together. Yeah. 
that would, I think that would, they don't need to be able to claim all the points, but I think if they had that, they would feel like, oh, okay, we've got Echo. Let's go work on Charlie or Delta. And then Alpha, Bravo, and Foxtrot are all, none of these are said this way anymore. They're no. all apples and butter now, but, <laughs> but, um, I still use the old, uh, phonetic alphabet. The old being the old, new. Yeah. The old, old being, being the, the new, new now. <laughs> Everything that is once old is new again. So, so yeah, that's, that'd be my only, you know, I, that'd be my tweak without, because I'd like to see this longer term to see if it actually helps with the pro. There's still tons of people playing recon yeah. on those hills, but it didn't feel like 50% like yeah. it used to, except on some of the rush modes where there's good strategic sense for defense. I mean, I, as much as I hate it, it's smart yeah. for them to all be up there with their scopes gleaming as they blow all our heads off as we try and advance. Um, let's talk about a few other just sort of disparate aspects of the game. Horses? Yes. Let's talk about. Ponies, as I call them. Ponies. Oh, I do love riding a pony. Um, with my saber slashing. Um, majestic can, creatures of death. Can, can a cavalry officer slice a tank in half with a saber? <laughs> I never checked. However, it I seems- I think that's the one thing they can't do. But it does seem that every person, even the heavily armored, like grind locust gunner type guy, it was one hit kills with, with the swords, if on horse and yeah. all, and all, if you're off horse and then you had to beat them down a little bit more. But, um, yeah, I'm thinking maybe a bit OP, maybe a bit. The horses absorb a lot of damage. Yes, that- I, I started killing them on purpose because I just got tired of them. <laughs> I mean, they'd be like friendly, just stationary ponies or neutral ponies. I was like, no, this horse is going to die. <laughs> Because people would be on those horses and maybe you'll snap a headshot and get lucky. Maybe you'll hit the body, the torso eventually and get him down. But well, that the horse. problem is, is it wasn't just that the horses were sponges. If you were on a horse, you were a sponge mm-hmm. as well. Oh yeah, you are stronger. I, it does, don't look at you. Got your spiffy little cap. Yeah, your, your little, you know, like leather coat or whatever. But it's like, you're spraying a fire into the guy on the horse. Like he's not dying. No. No, and and if uh, you do die, well, then he falls off, and the horse still runs you over. Yeah, and it's and it's not just the saber that's effective up up close. The rifle he gets is pretty good too. Yeah. Uh, he's just hip firing, but with the uh, reticle you get, it's pretty easy to hip fire. I initially wasn't even trying to use the rifle at all, and I started, and I was like, oh wow, this is actually really effective. And and the horse itself is is a vehicle of death. Yeah. I had two instances where I was killed while charging someone to try and save them. And in both cases, I got roadkill credits. I called them <laughs> roadkill because the horse ran for it, continued to run forward and trampled them to death <laughs> as my war pony was trained to do. I was just, I was expecting to watch it eat them. <laughs> it did not eat them. That would have, that would have been exciting, but yeah. Okay. So I think we both agree. Horses are a little too powerful at least on the yeah. defensive side. I would say, I mean, a little too I powerful. like the concept. It's something completely new to the game yes. and it's a new way to move around. And I like that they're useful. I just think they're a little too useful. Yeah. It was, I mean, they are essentially the replacement for the, what I would consider the quad bikes and motorcycles in prior battlefields. And I hated those because you feel worthless and and helpless unless someone's like riding on the back of your quad with you and has their gun. In this, you're actually still able to fight. Uh, but yeah, they're they're a little too useful at, at the at the present time. Uh, here's the thing that maybe doesn't affect a, a a large a huge percentage of people, but 
Oh, gosh. The inversion controls were messed up. Yeah. So the game supports, as it always has, it supports inversion. Mike and I, just coincidentally, we both play with a Y-inverted approach. And this dates back to how I played shooters on PC and flight sticks. Yeah, it dates back to flight sims for Flight sims and all that. So anyway, so I always invert Y. I always am inverted look. So when I push down on the controller, I expect my head to go up. Yeah, so it's okay. not, I, I don't think it's so much as pushing down as pulling back. Yeah, it is. It's pulling. I'm trying to describe it for the the lay person because yeah. most of most of our listeners probably don't play flight sims. <laughs> they probably just play pinball. <laughs> I don't know. We'll see. But um, anyway, so this this supported the inversion. It even supported if you just wanted to invert for planes because some people will invert, but only in flight because yes. like, they only invert for flight sims. So they know that's a thing. And it's all, and that worked fine. Other than if you inverted, you did not invert for flight also, because then that reinverted. Yeah, it, it, like, de- it de-inverted you it on the flight. That, the double inversion canceled yeah. itself. Out. It was a double negative, but only for planes. Yes, it, because there it was, was the, because it was the flight inversion. Yeah, that, that was so, weird. So they apparently created a double negative scenario there, which uh, okay, I'll, I'll remember to keep that in mind. But here's the problem: tank driving. Yes, for some reason. All of the tanks, just the tanks though, not the horses, not the jeeps, but all of the tanks, the driver was not inverted. It would, it would, no matter what, you were not inverted. I did not see a scenario where you were. Yeah. You switch over to a side gunner, inversion's back on. Mm -hmm. They need to fix this. This will screw everyone up who plays inverted and all real players play inverted. (laughs) So. I, I, I saw, and it wasn't Xbox specific. I saw people on the PlayStation 4 Battlefield forums complaining about it. I, I didn't check on PC. I just, I did a search to see where other people having this issue and they were, and they were asking for help. And then people who obviously didn't play inverted would just say things like, well, did you invert it? <laughs> uh, yeah, we know how to invert. We have to do it for every game when we start. This is how it, this is how it is. So that was, uh, that was actually the biggest bug that bothered me. Yeah. Was the lack of an, a lack of proper inversion on tank driving. Cause I started holding the right stick weird. Like I'd put my hand on top of it. <laughs> I'd reposition it on the base of my thumb, not the tip, just to try and mentally tell myself that some sort of trick. So I'd remember this is not inverted. I need to, if I want the tank to go down, I pull back instead of pushing forward. It was just, it was very annoying. Yeah. Very, very annoying. Um, cause I mean, it would be like, okay, I've been in a tank for a while and now I'm out of the tank and now my brain scrambled trying to figure out which way is up. Uh, I don't really have any other, uh, complaints to point out. Uh, gun selection that on the last day of the beta, they unlocked all of the weapons for everyone. All uh, of the weapons that they had yes, available. That they had yeah. available, which, which are, which are, it was a limited set. And we'd actually already earned a number of them on it because we played this so much yeah. on the classes that we really liked. There are a lot of cool ones. I'm sure Tony will hate all of them for being <laughs> way too modern-esque prototypes that got snuck into a war they barely featured in. Yeah, but, but they were a lot of fun. Yeah. Uh, I, I liked the, I mean, some of them felt really well. And I mean, I liked that, uh, they had versions that had kind of, scopes on them to a degree mm, or yeah. even just you know better than iron sights yeah they had they had some sites where it'd be like they've got iron crossbars so they basically were serving the role of red dots or red line <laughs> scopes but they were but they were metal so it was okay this is like they're steampunky so it's all right uh were there any of the new gadgets that you liked I, I i mean i kind of liked the anti-tank rocket gun i just wish it had a lot more power to it 
is really good on infantry, I've seen. Yeah. Well, I mean, and, and then there's also the fact that you have to go prone to use it. Yes. Or at least, I guess, maybe if you were, like, behind a wall, you could put it on the wall. Hmm. I mean, I think upping the power on that would help a lot with the tanks. Right. And it's probably going to have to be my replacement for my anti-sniper weapons since there's no RPG. Right. But that was kind of cool. Um, I think I think dynamite needs to be more powerful because it's basically the C4 replacement. Mm-hmm. I mean, most of the other stuff was pretty much common stuff. You know, your resupply crates and stuff. Yeah, there wasn't a whole lot of, of super unique gadgets. Some of them were just different iterations like... Anti-tank mines. We've had anti-tank mines before. Yeah. Uh, I'd say the biggest one that I noticed, though none of my builds used it, was the gas grenade. Yes. And that was pretty clever because you can't, uh, you cannot aim down sights when you've got the gas mask on. Yeah. So that's its main value. You're probably not going to choke someone to get death with mustard gas, which, interestingly, much like in World War One, other than the first time it was used, Gas didn't get a lot of people. That they had to deal with it was yeah. the problem. You had to crawl up out of the trenches and stuff, and and uh, because it would sink, even though you had your gas masks and such. But uh, yeah, I uh, so I thought that was that was pretty clever. Otherwise, all of my gadgets were pretty typical stuff that I've had in other games. Yeah. I preferred incendiary grenades myself. I've always been partial to them because I like the, how they scream. <laughs> How they scream as they cook. Well, well but, speaking of fire, I guess we should talk about the, the little special pickup type class things they have. Oh, yeah. I barely grabbed any of them, so I almost forgot about that. But you're right. There were a couple of uh, specialty class, uh, three, maybe, on the map. There was, uh, there's, yeah, uh, there's a minigun-esque guy, yeah. grind, grind guy. There yeah. was a flamethrower, and then wasn't there like an anti-tank gun? Yes, there was okay. a, basically like an uber version of the anti-tank rifle. Right. I got that once. The problem with that is it spawned out in E, which is out in the middle of nowhere. Right. So you have to go down there and get it. Hope you can actually claim it. Hope that there's not for some reason like two or three snipers camping down there because there always seem to be. Which didn't make sense because the, they can't see anything else no, down the, there. It, it's it, for those that aren't familiar, Echo is way to the south of the rest of the combat, and it's kind of in a valley surrounded by sand dunes. Yeah. So it's not like they can look back at the other points and see them. There's, yeah. there's nothing to see. You're so, down in a. You're so down if, in if a you goal. wanted that anti-tank rifle, you had to go down there. Hope it was actually down there, and someone else somewhere on the map wasn't carrying it around. I got to use it once. It does what I think the anti-tank rifle should do. Mm. I was able to take out a tank in, like, I think five shots. Which, for, like, an uber weapon, I think it should be less. Especially since it's so hard to get. But, that was, I mean, it was, overall, it was pretty neat. Like I said, I feel it should be more powerful. And the normal one that you can carry should be at about that power. Okay, um, I never, I never got that one. So, I have no yeah. comments the, uh, on it. The big heavy gun guy was kind of cool. I died to a lot of them. I also <laughs> never got a chance to pick it up. Really? That that spawned a box. Oh, I saw it. I just I never got a chance to grab it. <laughs> I, I used it a couple of times. It's very satisfying. It, it does look fun because you're. I mean, the guy that you're carrying, you're in like a full suit of armor. <laughs> At least like, in the front. Yeah. So you're harder to take down. Um, I mean, obviously the gun is too big. You can't iron sight it, so you're all just hip firing it. But it does so much damage. It's got good range. I mean, it spreads out some at range, but it's devastating. Now, and the, the, the flamethrower. I did get to use the flamethrower once. I cooked one person. Well, the, the problem with this, it was at B. And so 
you're trying to get from B to like over maybe like C, D area where a lot of the action is really taking place. So you got that long desert kind of area yeah. you have to go across. But if you're in like that, you know, Charlie Delta or whatever Delta is now, Duff or whatever. Yeah, Duff Man. Duff Man. But if you're in that area with the flamethrower where all those buildings are, it works wonderful. Yeah, and I, I didn't, I was not, I was actually going away from those buildings over to Foxtrot when I had it, so I was in the open and because I, I, I had it running around in there for a while, and I cooked a yeah. lot of people. No, I definitely in in city combat scenarios, like you know, tight quarter areas, the flamethrower, it's got decent range. Yeah, it. it's got decent range, as a flamethrower really should. I think that's a big problem. A lot of games get wrong. They think flamethrowers are just like shotguns that they have no range. When the real flamethrower has some pretty good range. Mm-hmm. That's our summary of uh, Battlefield 1. I have pre-ordered it. Yes. Overall, it is very enjoyable. There's just a few balance tweaks that I think to be made, mostly with horses and tanks, and fixing that tank inversion problem. Yeah, and I have a high degree of confidence that that got picked up in the beta, and it's been, I've seen it's been reported on Battlefield forums. So, yes, uh, so October 21st, in the U.S. at least, is the release. That's a Friday, isn't it? You know, I don't know. I think it is. All these days blend together. What a weird release day. I know. But it's like, hmm, I might have to take that Saturday off work. No, no. <laughs> no. You should. You, you need to work to pay for your battlefield. I can pay for my battlefield. Oh, okay. Well, let's go to our final segment, which is the tabletop segment. You know, normally Tony does practically all of the background research on tabletop. And we should give him some credit for this because... It is he who has referred to this game a couple of times, and I've been unable, I have been suppressed, I have been prevented from ever really explaining the truth of it. And so, Mike and I are going to talk a little bit about Pandemic, once and for all, to let everyone know exactly what it is. And I have a link to the game info in the show notes, so you can go and you can read up on Pandemic in case you questioned the authenticity of these descriptions, <laughs> but there is no reason to question them. You are in capable hands, and trust me, this game is as bad as I have always tried to claim <laughs> that it is. So, let me summarize it properly, because we never really have. What is Pandemic? Pandemic's plot to the game is that there are virulent diseases and they've broken out, they're different ones, and they've broken out simultaneously all over the earth. So you have a game board and it depicts several major population centers on earth. Each turn, your team of players, it's cooperative, you travel between cities, you have different classes that each of you play, which have different abilities that you can exploit while playing, and you try and treat treat the infected populace and discover a cure for each of the diseases by building a research station and doing all of this sort of research. You have a deck of cards and the, the deck of cards provides the players with their abilities, but there are also epidemic cards that are in the game and those cards accelerate and intensify the activity that the diseases are doing. So now with Tony out of the way, Mike and I are going to explain why this game is crap. <laughs> Mike. What do you think of Pandemic? You can't win it. Okay, exactly. This is what I have tried to say on two different episodes now. And Tony lamely replies, you can win it. No, I, I think I think it's just a, a mass delusion of those people that have won it. It's like, no, you didn't win it. You just think you did. I, I've suspected that, as is, is actually uh, fairly common on a number of tabletop games, unfortunately, and this is one of the weaknesses of tabletop gaming, that this is something that 
you have to accept because you don't have a computer handling things for you is that they probably didn't actually play by the rules. They th- I'm sure they thought, I'm sure Tony thought that he was playing by the rules, but it probably, they probably misinterpreted something like maybe they didn't draw a epidemic card right, or perhaps it could, I could imagine it'd be possible that if you didn't trust to randomness, you could win perhaps through randomness, or if someone deliberately put all the epidemic cards on the bottom of the deck, <laughs> uh, or, you know, something along those lines. Uh, it's just, the way the game is set up, the diseases just spread because they're multiple ones. It's not like a real epidemic. I mean, a real epidemic would be catastrophic. They've been catastrophic in our past, but generally you only have one epidemic at a time. You don't have four. <laughs> you don't have four of them at a time where you're trying to solve what all these different diseases are and you're globe trotting around the world because when there were like four major disease outbreaks, the world said, we got to deal with this. Let's send in five people. <laughs> no, it, no. So it's just, it's not realistic. It's not a realistic interpretation of disease. It's not a realistic interpretation of the profession of public health. And it's not a realistic depiction of uh, anything except life because you don't win at life and you don't win at this. Everything is just a loss. So from that perspective, it's a great metaphor. But beyond that, I can't think of... Can you think of any virtues, Mike, of this game that we should... Uh, maybe some praise that we should sing of it. I'm going to feel really sort of almost bad if the uh, developers of the game were to listen to this episode, <laughs> except I think that they know they meant to make a game that couldn't be won. So they're, that they're, they're probably quite well, satisfied. Well, I, I would say if it has any good values to it, it does promote teamwork because we learned very quickly. Like the first time we played it, we're just like, okay, we're playing it. We're seeing how it plays out. And we didn't get anywhere near winning. And so we realized, okay, we have to go at this, and even before we start, we have to figure out what each of us is going to be doing. Right, right. Like, and we then, had the, who is going to build the research? You yes. build all the research stations, because that's your perk. And you can carry two of the whatever, so you do that. Yeah. Yeah. This and so, and then we draw our cards, and then before we even did anything else, it's like, okay, what do we got? Who's going where? Who's going to do what? You know, we try and figure it out before we even really start playing the game so we have a game plan so maybe we can, you know, try and win even though we were delusional thinking we could. <laughs> well, Tony built up that delusion because yes. we played with him and he kept insisting that it could be. He actually downplayed, the, like, he didn't tell us that we would almost definitely lose either. <laughs> he didn't even suggest that, as I recall. Just after we lost, he said that, oh yeah, well, it's pretty common to lose. Well, yes, 100% is a pretty common outcome, <laughs> but... And, I mean, there, there were times where we thought we were going to win. It's like, okay, we've got everything figured out. All we need to do is get you here. I'll give you this, and then we'll have everything we need to win. And then we'd be going, and we'd realize we'd run out of cards like the person before we could win. And it's like, that's by design. Mm-hmm. It made us think we could win. Nope. Because we went in with... And that's why I'm, I'm so certain that it is not meant to be won. Is we went in with, I have to, I mean, I don't, I don't want to sound boastful, but we went in with, as far as I could tell, a perfect strategic plan on how to execute it. So I guess if you could chalk it up to bad luck, bad draws or whatever, but the bottom line is we played the game properly. We played the game perfectly. <laughs> we used our minds and we should have won. And when your mind can't overcome the cards, it means the cards are designed to not let you win. 
It was very sad. Yep. So I do not recommend Pandemic to people who enjoy winning games. <laughs> but if you like to lose or maybe you win too much in life and want to feel what loss is like, <laughs> go ahead and give it a give it a try. But you finally heard the full truth, I feel. So well, that's it for episode seventeen. Uh, we should have another episode in two weeks. And uh Thanks again, Mike, for joining us on the podcast That's once more. No problem. I got to talk a lot about Battlefield. Yes, it was. <laughs> we went video game heavy because that is your wheelhouse, and I'm more than happy. And not to mention that that's been what I've been primarily playing as well. So it fed in. It fed in quite nicely. Uh, until next time, I'm Dennis, and I will say so long, everyone.